Hey everyone, welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. You know, I knew he was going to be trouble the minute we sat down to record that podcast. That podcast called Timeline Scavengers, where we go through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, or day by day, until the end of time. I knew when he walked in, when the moon had just hit the zenith, that we were really going to be in for a long recording session. And I said to myself, why can't I quit this man? But then he opened his mouth and started talking about the scene, and I knew why I was drawn in. Hmm. That's my best hmm. war entrance. Oh, um, okay, good. Yeah. You were doing... No- okay. I was... I was. I kept searching for uh, Rod Serling, because again, that's where my head was. Mm. Uh, and I was like, there are some options here. He doesn't know who that is. No, I, this is the best he can do, which that one's not right. Cause Colin's a good impressionist. Cause like, you know, myself, it's, it's the way he does his noir people. intro in the yeah. episode. Oh, you know? for sure. And for to sure. me, like, it's funny. Cause like, I, I have always done this bit where I talk about anytime I've talked about like old school detective movies, I'm always like, I love the way that they describe women because it's like never quite right. And what I mean by that yeah. is like, I mean, it's it's sexist, yeah. But I mean, like, what I mean is like, they'll be like, it was a dark and stormy night, and I knew she was troubled the minute she walked in with legs as long as the, you know, Idaho River or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? I also don't think there's yeah. an Idaho River. But like, it was just, I wanted it to be something outrageous. But it's just like, it's always something where they're like describing their body, and it's supposed to maybe sound sexy, but like, it's also like a little off-putting. But like not in a way that they think it would be, and you're like, what is that? You know, she looked like she had been carved from a raw potato and thrown away the peel. What? Why are we still in Idaho? <laughs> and then you turn um, it over, and it's Id. It's like uh, P P Idaho. Uh huh. P Idaho is very good. Also, if it was like a sexy detective. Mm. P I Idaho. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's yeah, what I'm yeah. like P Idaho. Um. And you know, sometimes you gotta you, you wake up in the morning, you found you've P Idaho mm-hmm. with a um, dragon like a, net, like a past. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, uh, you kept saying, "I knew you were trouble when you walked in." So now, I really want someone to do a yeah, film noir reading of Taylor Swift reading lyrics. Yeah, like yeah, trouble, trouble, trouble. All right, so uh, we are uh, trouble. <laughs> I've got a blank space, baby. <laughs> I've got a blank space, Sousa, and you're about to fill it. Oh, wow. We're back in the sexy uh, detective. <laughs> yeah, we got there. Um, So this is uh, the second of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the 50s uh, episodes. It is uh, season seven, episode four. Uh, this is a fun one f- from... For, Colin, I've had to uh, figure out what the hell I was thinking with times, uh, I think two or three times, because remember, we had it on Netflix, then it shifted over to Disney Plus, and I had to be like, wait, did I want to cut here or here, or here or here or here? And then last night, I had a couple of the times wrong, or not last night, the night before, I had a couple of the times wrong, so I had to re-re-re, so... Here's the I had to re 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 Williams. I knew that was coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Once I you said I had to re re, I was like, yep, there yeah. it is. Or sorry, <laughs> when you said re re re, I was like, oh yeah, we're gonna re re yeah. Williams. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
so this is a fun one because most of it is pretty straightforward and then there's some uh interesting plot revelation orders that listeners if this is your first episode again and as always wow okay cool a weird one to pick but you know i'm here for it uh we unravel that we're gonna take that and just iron it out make it a flat normal plot Mm. and that's what we've done here but what where all that all that weirdness goes is into the timestamp. so ready here we go (laughs) and this is agents of shield season seven episode four you're going to start at one minute and 49 seconds that is not when the episode starts that is a little bit after the episode starts because we are we are bl- blasting the fuck out of this in media res right away. We are shooting that straight to hell. So you're going to start one, 40, one minute, 49 seconds. You're going to watch all the way through to 35 minutes and 47 seconds. Then you're going to skip to 36 minutes and 36 seconds and watch through 37 minutes and 33 seconds. That's where the answer of the plot is. Then you're going to go back and finish the question at 3603 through 3631. She was like an answer that didn't have a question. Uh, (laughs) Then you're going to jump back past the answer for the rest of the plot, and that is 3733 through 3912. Then they jump in time. Then the sting at the end of the episode is back in 1955 so uh you're going to stop at 3912 and then you're going to cut to after the commercial after the you know whatever uh at 4123 and watch to the end of the episode yep it's an episode that i've been looking forward to for quite a long time here is most of this is mcu wiki because like you with the last episode i was like listen how do i want to spend my life (laughs) And it was not slowly writing this stuff. Um, But there was a point where I had to do some juggling. Again, it was where the answer happened. And when I took out stuff like it turns out and then just made it turn out that way the first time. So here's what happens. Strap in. Here we go. Colson. I wrote Colson, but I had taken a sentence that was in the middle of a sentence and had he, so I had Colson, he wakes up. So let's start. <laughs> Colson wakes up handcuffed to a table while Daniel, Su- Daniel Sousa is on the phone. Colson explains the story of the night agent Daniel Sousa became the first ever fallen agent of shield, an event that would go on to inspire hundreds of future agents. It doesn't say here, but uh, everything is in black and white. And he hears a voice in his head that is narrating what's going on. They have diegetically made film noir happen, and I love them for it forever. Suze hangs up the phone and begins trying to get information out of Coulson, who understands that a major historical event had already been altered by what transpired with the Chronicoms earlier in the last episode, both for us and for them. Mm-hmm. Coulson lies and explains that he is Suze's contact, sent to help him deliver a gadget to Howard Stark. After some convincing, Sousa buys it, and the team has its next mission. Buys it means believes it. He doesn't purchase anything. In need of help, (laughs) Coulson calls back to the crazy canoe, where Enoch is still working as a bartender. Link to 1931. He asks if, after two decades of waiting, he can rejoin the team, but Coulson states that now is not that time. Instead, they will have to link up with him at a later time. Colson explains his current predicament, and Enoch states that he can patch Colson through to the Zephyr because he has had two decades to construct the technology to do so. 
he's really doing he plays up his Charlie Brown a lot in this episode. He really and I appreciate does. it. Yeah. Like he has the bald head. Mm-hmm. He doesn't wear a yellow sweater, but like he may as well be. Um Enoch patches Colson through to the Zephyr and he explains the situation to the team. The team discusses the fact that Sousa dies later that night and then lays out the plan to collect the gadget from the home of the scientist Niles Linmore, who's a person that didn't get credited at all in the official credits in the last episode, but is a crucial point of plot for this one. So I guess that's just how they decided to have that be. Who was impersonated by the Chronicom they fought earlier at Area 51. The one Eventually it is... The one that, yeah, the one that melted into the pile of goo. The Wicked Witch of the East. Uh, you mean West. The West, yeah. What a weird line. <laughs> it, it's a good line. I like that one. It is a good line. Like, it's like he's trying to, like, trick him yeah. with, like, pop culture. And I, I I can get behind that. He's like, she came down in a bubble, dog. He's like, no, that's the, yeah. They, they, it's that kind of moment for them. <laughs> Her sister was a chronicum. Eventually, <laughs> it is decided that Deke Shaw and Yo-Yo Rodriguez are to retrieve the aforementioned device. On their way to the house, the two agents talk about how in the 1930s and now in the 1950s, both time periods were quite sexist and racist. Rodriguez tells Shaw that, th- that things do get better, just never fast enough. With Shaw remarking how in spite of that, some things never change. The discussion then veers to them talking about the possibility of changing the timeline for the better by doing things like killing Freddie Malik or even saving Agent Sousa. Neither one of them seems completely sure about what that might be the right, about what might be the right thing to do. They arrive at the home of the deceased scientist and split up to find the gadget. Rodriguez finds the faceless body of the scientist before finding what she was looking for, the gadget. Meanwhile, Shaw is ambushed by two thugs, including Joe, and taken as a hostage. One guy gets a name, the other guy gets nothing at all. Colson eventually explains that they now have the gadget, but they don't have Shaw. Colson and Sousa board a train as Colson continues to build his, li- his lie regarding his involvement in Sousa's delivery. He convinces Sousa to simply sit and wait for his contact to reveal himself and drop off the package. Rodriguez was supposed to make the drop, but she was now off looking for Shaw instead, which in turn was making Colson feel anxious at his cover being blown. Back at the crazy canoe, Enoch gets another call, this time from Rodriguez, before he can get the chance to ask if he, if he is to be brought back in. She asks him to patch her through to the Zephyr again. She explains to Mackenzie that she has the package, but Shaw is missing. On the train, Coulson improvises and swipes a briefcase from an unsuspecting passenger, telling Sousa that that was his contact. As they move to another car, though, some other passengers appear to be very interested in their movements and whereabouts. Back on the Zephyr, the team inspects the gadget Rodriguez acquired. Most of the team seems unimpressed, but Gemma Simmons is excited about, about its historical significance. Melinda May seems just as skeptical as, the, skeptical as the team, but after touching Simmons' arm, she is surprisingly as thrilled as the scientist, which puzzles the team for a moment. Wow. Subtle writing, MCU wiki. After making some small talk, Sousa decides to grab a drink in the train's bar. As soon as he leaves, Luke joins Coulson and offers him a deal to give them the Earth and in exchange, they will be merciful to humans. Luke is a chronicom from 1931. I don't know why I'm clarifying that here. Coulson subsequently declines the offer, and Luke explains that all he had to do was make one call to speed up Sousa's death. Meanwhile, Sousa is confronted by a woman, Lana, in the bar, who attempts to distract him as her two friends clear out, of the, rest, clear out the rest of the car. Then Jarvis comes in and says, Hello! No, he doesn't. That, that's another thing. Wouldn't that be great? Uh... <laughs> Sousa sees through her charade, and a fight breaks out. Sousa is saved by Daisy Johnson, Alfonso McKenzie, and Coulson, who arrive just in the nick of time. 
You can tell when the wiki got to the first mention of the people because it's their full name. The team brings Sousa aboard the Zephyr, but still tries to keep everything very secretive. While being introduced to the team, Sousa shakes May's hand, and she immediately becomes panicked and worried. After a moment of concern, she calms down. Rodriguez and Simmons escort her away. The team turns the package over to Sousa and asks for information on where Shaw might be in return. Sousa explains to them that S.H.I.E.L.D. may have been infiltrated by Hydra, which he sees as an absolute bombshell. This, of course, shakes Sousa, and Coulson realizes it was Hydra who killed Sousa, not the Russians, as it was previously believed, and that Freddie Malik was the one calling the shots. He thinks it's an absolute bombshell, and no one else does at all. Right. It's a great moment, and... Uh, they decided to cut that part. It's fine. Well, it's it's definitely a thing of uh, they were like, yeah, we saw we saw uh, Winter Soldier, and he's like, oh, what? No, spoiler. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. It hasn't come out for him. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know about Winter Soldier yet. What a weird thing to say. Yeah. Shaw has brought. <laughs> I don't know about the Winter Soldier program. Hmm. They go, okay. hmm, weird. You sh- definitely shouldn't even know that name. We haven't even said it. Uh... Where did you learn that name? <laughs> Where'd you hear that word? Shaw is brought to an office by the two armed thugs who took him. Remember, Joe and Nonin. An older Freddie Malik introduces himself to Shaw as Wilfred. After more than 20 years, the Hydra boss doesn't recognize Shaw, who puts together a lie about being a toaster salesman. Wilfred kills his goon for bringing him the wrong man. Mackenzie finds Malik's address and plans to go rescue him, but Coulson brings up Seuss's mission. The two discuss whether or not they should save him, effectively altering the timeline. Uh, Max says this great thing about it's easier to uh, save a, or save a bad man than kill a good one, and it's just really, really good. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Johnson and Sousa discuss Hydra's infiltration, a conversation that finds Sousa increasingly frustrated. Now backed in a, into a corner with a gun on him, Shaw decides to expose himself as the man Wilford met back in 1931. Oof, that's a that's a tough time to pause. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I did it for humor. He explains that he once made the call not to kill Wilfred, and after a tense moment, Wilfred lowers his gun to return the favor. He allows Shaw to leave, but lets him know that if he sees him again, he won't be so lucky. Simmons examines May before Rodriguez enters and explains May's panic attack back at the base as well. May explains that she's been feeling nothing before her emotions washed over her uncontrollably. Shaw uses a payphone to contact Enoch and tries to catch up with the friendly chronic friendly chronicom before he casually connects him to the zephyr enoch then explains to his bar patron that he is alone in this world and as he always has been patched through shaw explains that he got away from malik something the team already knew mckenzie tells colson he is changing the mission and calls johnson away from susa may explains that her panic attack on the base was the first time she felt anything since she entered the temple sometime back simmons and rodriguez eventually put it together that may is feeling the emotions of anyone she touches Simmons' excitement for the gadget and Sousa's confusion being brought on the Zephyr. She explains that when she touched Sousa, she also felt the need to run. Sousa then immediately makes a run for it with the package in tow. On a motorcycle, it looks just as cool as you think it does. At the Hotel Roosevelt in Los Angeles, Sousa makes his delivery while Malik's Hydra goons follow. Sousa is iced by the S.H.I.E.L.D. team and Coulson, dressed as Sousa, is shot by Joe. Joe calls Malik and explains that his job is done. Johnson and Simmons pose as nurses and collect Coulson's body. Sousa avoids being killed, but the inspiration that his death provided still came to pass. Back on the Zephyr, Simmons works on Coulson and restores his system. Now seeing in color and not black and white, Coulson explains that his internal monologue is gone. May then touches Coulson and explains that she gets nothing off of him. 
A clock appears, counting down the seconds until the next jump. The team shares their regrets regarding leaving Enoch once again, but Johnson explains that he's a chronicom, so he'll be wherever they jump to next, and that they should for sure take him for granted. Back at his home, Malik <laughs> is joined by Luke, who comes to him with a proposition. Luke offers to help him prevent S.H.I.E.L.D. from eventually destroying everything he will build. That's the whole thing. The whole Megillah, as we as we might say. Mm-hmm. Colin, give me them. Give me all those, give me all those tasty thoughts you've been having. Okay. The first the first and foremost thing that I would like to say is that the concept of having just like a little PDA kind of like device plugged into my body for, I don't know, what seems like maybe a minute, and then suddenly the internal monologue disappears forever. Uh <laughs> what a what a lovely concept that is. For sure. I have an internal monologue that uh, has not stopped since as long as I can remember. Uh, and it is a thing. I remember this was a discussion like online not that long ago about people being like, wait, are there really people who aren't basically like narrating, you know, like their their day and like, you know, their, their uh, options and the things they have to do, um, which was great because someone had a very good example of like the difference between people who have internal monologues versus not. Like for a yeah. lot of people who don't have internal monologues, it's almost like being a Sims character. There's just like a thought bubble and like the next task that you have to do. And it just sort of pops up every now and then just to remind you, oh, don't forget you have to do that thing. Right. Yeah. But it's like, it's not, it's not even that they say that thing. It's just like, you know, like get coffee. Yeah. And then the silence. intention is just there. Right. Yeah. It's, it's then silence. Right. And there's like a queue of those things, but like they're not thinking about the queue every second until the next item gets done. Whereas like for me, it is both that and also five other thoughts happening all at once. Um, my brain moves faster than I can. And it is, uh, it is a burden that I do not wish even on my worst enemy. Uh, so I just feel like that's so nice. Um, I also think that it's like so funny because I remember, uh, I, I knew that this episode was going to be in black and white. Um, because you know I've seen the series before, uh, and we were very clearly going for like that noir film thing. Right. I had forgotten that at the end of the last episode, that when they set off the EMP and he starts to like reboot, his eyeball yeah. flickers like in color, and like to me, I was like, that's to show that he's robotic, right? Like it's like, oh, right, you know, they're not looking closely enough, but if they did, they would recognize something's weird with his eye. But then you're like, oh, okay, gotcha. It's because not only is his eye flickering, but it's like it's literally turning to black and white. So right. in this in this episode, when they pop in and everything suddenly is in black and white, it's like, ah, black yeah. and white. Really, Coulson? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a little Agent Carter reference from about three weeks ago, I guess. Um, Colin has also decided to put that as his nickname, his Zoom nickname. Yes, it was. That's to true. peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else, though. I, I feel like this is such a... Let me, uh, let me respond oh, yeah. to that internal monologue thing oh, real yeah. quick. Um, same. And uh, one one benefit that I've had from from this kind of thing uh, is uh, we got a compliment from my mother in law one time about how much we talk to the kids and how it's really helped their language and sort of you know understanding of things. It's because we just externalize, just say every single thing you're doing and thinking and feeling and saying and doing whatever, and then the I'm reading about it in my in my uh, grad school book. It's like you talking and saying what you're doing is is really really helpful 
So having that internal monologue, just sort of like a live feed that you just sort of, you know, take your head, you know, unplug the headphones and just sort of make it on speaker Mm -hmm. is like really, really helpful for kids. So I think that um, the TV series Scrubs, right? Mm. People, I feel like, especially when I was in high school, especially uh, one of my closest friends, his name is Austin. I've talked about him before on this show. He and I really loved watching Scrubs together. We watched it all the time. Um, but like, I don't think people understand that like the reason why I gravitated to it the most or specifically JD was that that was the first time where I feel like in a form of media where I was like, oh, he's just like me for real. Yeah. Because I was like, that is exactly like my head works that same way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I recognized that that was a, a thing that other people experienced and it wasn't just like, oh, I'm a weirdo, you know? Right. For sure. Uh, but yeah, okay, so that's internal yep. monologues. Um, the yep. other stuff, uh, I feel like, okay, we've talked about this before, but the opening slates for this yes. season where everything is stylized and it's always about the genre or whatever yeah. that they're going for in, in each episode. Beautiful. Just on point, for mm-hmm. sure, for sure. Um, I, I really... style. Yeah, oh, I, I really love their attention to detail and their like willingness to just really go for the bit mm-hmm. you know like i feel like there's a lot of shows that would maybe be like okay now that we've sort of established that we're gonna kind of back off or like you know we won't yeah. ha- you know hand fist it but like no they're like no no we're this is full on you know in a way it's a sort of proto wandavision it is a little bit yeah which is very interesting yeah um Agents of Shield walked so that Wandavision could uh, fly at hyperspeed. What is Wandavision if not Agents of Shield persisting? <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, let's see what else uh, in this episode. Uh, I mean, I just feel like there's so many good dialogue choices mm-hmm. and like some interesting connections. And like, it's interesting because for whatever reason, Yo Yo and Deke is not a combo that I would constantly think about as being something sure. that could be i don't want to say not interesting but like you know i feel like it's it, you know what you have is you always have duos or combos that make sense to have a lot of scenes uh right. and moments together um like a good example of this being like daisy and uh and colson right. right because they have that father daughter sort of you know relationship and so there's a lot of things for him to sort of pass down for her to question things like that, right? So you, you expect to see those sorts of combos all the time. Yeah. There's not a lot that you really see Deke and and uh, and 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 Yo-Yo having in common, yeah. or things just to them. mention. Yeah, like like what like yeah. what conversations could they have, right? Yeah. That being said, the conversation they have in that car is very good, and we mm-hmm. laughed about it beforehand about how funny it is when he was like. Hey, in the 1950s, could women drive? Right? And yeah. she's like, yeah, of course, duh. And he's like, okay, hey, listen. Yeah. Like, I understand that you guys are from the future, but I'm like from the future. You right. know? Like, <laughs> right. like, for him, he has no clue. There's no context. Yeah. There's no history books, right? But like, I just think it's so funny, like how there's like this, um, yeah, this, this concept there. And like, uh, I also love the fact that his, his point was that like, he's not that great at driving. So it's like maybe she should drive, but then she's just like, no. But I mean, like, you know, you can drive. 
He's like, okay, he's like clearly not that comfortable with it. Yeah. But I think it's also like a thing of like, what's funny to me about it is that we haven't seen her drive much either. But I also wonder if part of it is like for Yo-Yo, someone who at one point was moving at the speed of light, basically, if then driving yeah. was then then felt weird. It's like, yeah, it's not it's not a concept that. You know, she's like, I could move faster than a car could, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's very interesting if it's like a patience or who knows what. For um, sure. But yeah, I don't know. That's, I think, that's that. I think that it's it's kind of a fun... Um, sometimes I like to imagine these plots as uh, someone played like a D&D game and then just plotted it out, mm-hmm. like just made it into a thing. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you know, these two haven't really had a scene together. They're going to go off together. Like... Just to sort of see what that dynamic is and sort of explore that. And I think that, uh, I think you're right. Like, I think it's one of the, like, like what's another, I can't think of another, like, I mean, Deke is involved in a lot of stuff, funnily enough. But, like, like Simmons and Ward. Simmons and, like, Mac or or who? Ward, honestly. And Ward. Right, like Simmons right. and Ward was, like, a combo that you really didn't see often, like, at all. Right. But of course, yeah. like the one or two times that you did, of course, you know, Fitz was in the background, like, what's happening? You know, like, like just like yeah. very nervous the whole time, like, and like wanting to jump in, like, ha ha ha. Yeah, but like <laughs> couldn't get into the conversation. It's very funny. Oh, turbo. Poor turbo. We'll get it. We'll get there. We'll get there. He'll catch up. Does oh, we'll catch up? What's Max's nickname for, for Gemma? It's I don't Gemma. think he has one. I think it's it. We I think we've talked about this off, off air before, where it's like, is that a respect thing, or is that a I don't know you? Thing? I think that part of it is that like, I think that they eventually became friends. Yes, but I also wonder if part <clears throat> of him not giving her a nickname was because she was not doing well with Turbo or for Turbo, and there's a little mm. bit of like, you know, you have done damage to my buddy. So like yeah. I'm standing with my friend, yeah. you know, and so like then eventually they kind of patch things forward, but it's like, there's no need to, although he doesn't really have one for Colson either. He just calls him sir. Right. So maybe, maybe it is a, a thing of respect. I don't know. But like, I think it's interesting. He has, does he have one for May? The cavalry, but he but like doesn't every, use it because she doesn't like right. it. Right. But like everyone kind of, you know, they only use it once. I think in this season, um, and it's in this and it's in this episode. Yeah. It's in this episode. Um, no, like, it was in the last, last episode. episode. It was the last episode, episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, where they they mention it, but it's like I f- I wonder if it's like you know the people that like he works with that he like I work with, but then there are the people that he works with that he's like these are my friends, right? You know what I mean? I don't know how else to describe that, and I'm not yeah. saying that I'm not saying that he can't be friends with May no. Simmons or Colson, but it's like the people you're, that he's like really your buddies. Yeah, and then he's really your attached co-workers. to. Yeah, yeah. I've missed these guys. I've I've missed uh, the agents of Shield. Um, I have as well. Quite yeah. A bit. yeah. Kind of the tone. Like it's weird that a, that a 2020 show versus a 2016 show, the tone can be so kind of different. Um, mm-hmm. But like the, the, like the, the, the rhythm and the pace of the jokes and stuff is, uh, is different. And I, I, I appreciate it, especially doing it day by day. Um, did you have um, more stuff that you wanted to say or should we move into some seggies? I don't like that. Yeah, I don't don't love that. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I have anything else really. I mean, I will say the the train fight classic 
Yes. The, like the the dame to distract him kind of thing. But like also yeah. being very clearly understanding that he did see the people on their way in still. Like, yeah. you know, that's all classic. Like there's there's a lot of just like truly again, like when when they find the genre they and they hit the genre like on the head, like they they nail yeah. it. You know what I mean? Like he's that's he's like I've I've gone up against Dottie Underwood, Whitney Frost, and I've partnered and hooked up with uh, Peggy Carter, mm-hmm. your cut rate femme fatale thing that's going on here is not selling me. Like, <laughs> you know, you you, oh, you are no actress. <laughs> yeah. Also, what you just said, by the way, about you know having you know hooked up and been with Peggy. They this is the episode, by the way, where they have mm-hmm. the conversation and it's so brief. But yep. you know, he talks to Colson about you know like his relationships, and he's like, yeah, you know. Uh, I forgot the exact wording, but essentially it's like, you know, we're busy. We keep on the move. It doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, so, so it's like, I had to leave. And he's kind of like, yeah, same. But yeah, like, what Col- I think is. Colson gr- says a bunch. And then, and then Suze is like, yeah, same. What I think is very funny, though, is to me, the way that I interpret that is he was like, yeah, same. I left, which to me was like, <laughs> you know, like he's like agreeing just to make it easy, but it's like it's. I think it's like same situation, but he was the one that got left, which I think is very funny as well. Yeah, I miss you. Yeah, it is a little bit of like, yeah, I miss her every day. And he's like, what's that? Hmm? <clears throat> what's that? You know who I love, Captain America. I gotta go. Oh get my a drink. god, he's like, he's like, yeah, just yeah, you know, like it's just so it's wild, like you know that I'm doing all this stuff and I have all these Captain America cards that I want to get and like. And he got some smacked out of his hands. Like, I'm sorry. Let me help you pick those up. He's like, that was just such a knee-jerk reaction to just, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Let me help you. Let me help you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So uh, I'm going to save the, the best piece of trivia for last. Uh, uh, Colson quotes, uh, he says, someone once said, the past is never dead. It's not even past. That is William Faulkner from Requiem for a Nun. It's a sequel to a novel called Sanctuary, which introduced the characters of Temple Drake, her friend and later husband, Gowan Stevens, and Gowan's uncle, Gavin Stevens. Uh, they're set in, holy crap, Yaknapatawafa County in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a Y-O-K-N-A-P-A-T-A-W, Yaknapatawafa. County, Whew. uh, in uh, November 37 and March 38, eight years after the event of Sanctuary, uh, in Requiem Temple, now married with child, must learn to deal with her violent, turbulent past, as related in Sanctuary. Uh, and then the last thing is that none in this case is slang for sex worker, hmm. which is a, a thing that it you know, you're starting reading it thinking it's one thing and then. Uh, not a lot of you like, oh, this must be like the inspiration for Sister Act. Nope, it's not. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> it is. I guess. Mm-hmm. I suppose maybe it is. Um, okay. Uh, the show opens up with a shot of the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, the, which is where also the end of it uh, takes place. The hotel is noted not only for being the oldest continuing, continually operating hotel in LA, but also for being a well known haunted hotel, which is very fun. Oh, okay. Uh, this episode marks uh, Mac's 100th appearance on the show, which is cool. Wow. Uh, and uh, it says, Enoch essentially served as a switchboard between the agents on the ground and the Zephyr. He seems, I love this person that made this comment, he seems to have used an acoustic coupler to do so. 
Acoustic couplers were early modems used to transmit information over phone lines. The handset was placed on the coupler, and it would convert electronic signals from the computing device into an acoustic signal or sound for the phone to send over the network. Very cool. He's like, I've had 20 years alone to develop this. They're like, just hook it up. He's like, okay. Yep. I, I Actually, I will say this. I had forgotten about that somehow. I loved that like that bit also kept going. So it's like yeah. uh, f- everyone was sort of like rushing him through a conversation to get a hold of the, the ship. So like at first it's like he kind of lingers and then they're like, yeah, okay, but I need to talk to the ship. Okay. The second yeah. time it's a little bit more perfect. And in in the third time, Deke is like actually excited to talk to him. And he's like patching you through. He's like, ah, oh, oh, okay. And like, he's like, <laughs> yeah. he's oh, kind well. of hurt that, you know, that he didn't want to talk Deke. to him. Yeah, exactly. Enoch Fondly, like, it says. Hmm, Deke, yes. <laughs> and then like immediately puts him through. He's like, oh, oh, okay, sure. Uh, yeah. But like also just like he's at the bar with the same drunk guy the entire time. Yes, and Tom. when he Yeah, and he's like, you know, like you might be my best friend. He's like, hmm, this is tragic. Kind of, you know, like that kind of like interaction. It's very, yeah. very, very funny. Uh, for There was a moment, a brief moment where I was like, is this uh, Hicks? Hodge is this Gilmore Hodge grown up and that would have been it's very not funny. his name's Tom and whatever but like a couple of things he says I'm like wait and Can you then imagine? Uh, yeah that would be so good yeah uh the episode's opening sequence is an homage to Sunset Boulevard's iconic opening of the dead body floating in a pool with a title card that is a throwback style credit intro uh, so Sunset Boulevard also starts in media res with a dead body in a pool. Uh, they don't have the benefit of the timeline scavengers service of cutting that right out and just getting into the uh, meat of the episode. They have all this style and like poetic storytelling. And I'm like, enough mm. of that bullet point, that plot baby. Um, and the final thing, Colin, I texted you about this the other night. I've been excited since Monday evening when I found this out. Uh, there's actually an error in the uh, in the subtitles. Uh, it says that a song starts playing, and it is a band called The Surfmen in Hawaii. I also just saw them as The Surfmen in other mm-hmm. places. Uh, it says um, that the song is called Hang Hang, which it's not. It's actually called Hano Hano, uh, H-A-N-O space H-A-N-O. Mm. Uh, it came out as far as I can tell in 1960, so the game continues where they just don't care. <laughs> and I did a Google Translate, Colin. So Hano Hano in Hawaiian, when it's all one word, H-A-N-O, H-A-N-O, means honor. And this is my notes. I'm going to read this directly from my notes. But Colin, Hano Hano in Hawaiian, with a space in between it, According to Google Translate, means damn it. Oh, sick. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, 1950s Blink-182 reference. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is, this can be no better. So uh, that song means damn it. And I really, uh, I like when people use the language that, let's face it, white people don't speak to just be real fun and sort of. A little bit, ooh, a little naughty. Yep. So uh, that's all my trivia. Um, And uh, yeah, so I am uh, passing Bump Colin to the next segment. Well, speaking of trivia, Uh, James, 
something uh-huh. happens in this episode. Uh-huh. And that thing is that we see a character that we have not seen since 1931. Who? Enoch. Okay, so yep. here is a new segment <laughs> called... No, I'm just kidding. Could you imagine, though? Uh, wouldn't that be fun? Who, who's uh, Enoch? Who is Enoch? No, what we're actually doing is... Who's Freddy? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are back so with excited. more Who's Freddy. Uh, I love that we're back, and it's great because we've already talked today off-air about the timeline of Freddy and like how yeah. to fit in more of this and stuff like that. So we're only going to do one this one this time. Mm. We're going to be basically just doing one more for, for Oof, until gotta... until the 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 end of Freddy, right? Um, but this out a little bit, is get where we are starting today. Limbered up. This Freddy was an American jazz singer and pianist whose recording career spanned almost 70 years. He was the brother of royalty, though had no claim to any kind of throne. Brother of royalty. Is it like Fred Ellington? No. But I like where your head's at. Can you read it to me again? This Freddie was an American jazz singer and pianist whose recording career spanned almost 70 years. He was the brother of royalty, though had no claim to any kind of throne. Is it Fred Astaire? Nope. No. We already did Fred Astaire. Yeah. You were closer with your first guess. Okay. So it's it's brother of royalty. So uh, like like Fred Cole, Fred, Fred Duke Cole. Um, what was that? Was it Fred Cole? Is it is it uh, Nat King Cole's brother, Fred? That is exactly it. It is Fred no! Cole. Freddie Cole. <laughs> I was thinking you might not get it. And I I was wondering if I should say how close you were or not. But that's exactly it. I When I saw Nat King Cole, I was like, oh, that's a good little ref right there. So that is exactly who it is. It is Freddie Cole. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that uh, Nat King Cole had a had a uh, brother. They had like a, actually a rather large family of musicians. There was at least Did, four or five of them, I think. Yeah, plus Natalie, his daughter. Hmm. Nat, yeah, Nat King Cole's daughter. Nat yeah, Cole. I, I was thinking more of like I think like within siblings and maybe oh, yeah. cousin, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. That is very cool. Who's Freddie? Very cool. Oh. Mm. All right, Colin. Well, now we're we're at the the headliner for my segments. Avengers Ensemble. Okay, so this is Agents of Shield, season seven, episode four. It is called Out of the Past. That is a film noir reference to a film noir of the same name called Out of the Past. Oh, cool. um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That was a piece of trivia. I didn't copy and paste or copy and paste. Um, and uh, that's because I didn't want to say it and then not look up what the film is, which I haven't done. So uh, it had an air date of June 17th, 2020. God, uh, that's wild. It is so wild that this was so recent. Um, it was directed by Gary A. Brown. Um he did 10 other episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, one episode of Walker, Texas Ranger in 2001, and then before that, one episode of Who's the Boss in 1985. So he took a long break to uh, a 16-year break. I think he mostly did like production stuff um, mm. in that in that interim. 
And he's like, I'm coming out of retirement. And they're like, oh, it's the gift of Gab, G-A-B. All right. It was written by Mark Leitner. Uh, he wrote nine episodes of Hellstrom, 14 other episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Slingshot. So Mark Leitner, someone we're going to be hearing from a lot. Ooh. Maybe not a lot, because Hellstrom, we squished down like um, like a potato that yeah, thank peeled you. and then thrown away the peel. Thankfully. Like a woman. Um, oh, okay, no. You know how like uh, we were doing the film noir thing? Yeah, That's no, a callback, no, no. but I switched <laughs> it around. Um, woof. Woof. All right, it sounds so. bad that I was going, thank you, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, women. Um, so uh, the guy at the bar, Tom, is played by Larry Clark. I, I, I hazard a guess that you have seen him in something because he is in a lot of things. Uh, he was on one episode of Good Girls, four episodes of the 2017 Twin Peaks, three episodes of Sense8, one episode of The Mentalist. Oh, sick. One episode of BoJack Horseman, two episodes of Raising Hope, which I mentioned because it takes place uh, where you are from and where I live near in Maryland. Uh, Transformers Dark of the Moon. He was Adrian Black in L.A. Noir. Uh, a video game that is basically the mentalist of video games. <laughs> I mean, it is a little bit for us at least. <laughs> One episode, Marvel Movie Minute suddenly does a lot of LA Noir content. Uh, hey, hey, I'm going to tell you this right now. If they suddenly do that, then I then I am going to do an actual call out post. And it won't be so cutesy. Go, okay, Everything hang you do on is now. cutesy. Now, now it's not a coincidence. <laughs> uh, uh, he was on one episode of Castle, one episode of Bones. One episode of Burn Notice. What is Burn Notice? One episode of Medium. That's a good show. One episode of My Name is Earl. One episode of Monk. One episode of House. One episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And one episode of The Sopranos. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is when she gets a gun. Joe, uh, the guy who has a toothpick and is sort of the assassin in the show, um, is played by a guy named Philip Alexander. Uh, he was on one episode of The Mandalorian. One episode of Lucifer. He was in uh, Stargate Origins colon Catherine, which I am imagining it's like a like a movie or something because he was also yeah. in 10 episodes of Stargate Origins. Hmm. So, I don't know. Uh, Lana is played by Stephanie Drapeau. Um, I'm imagining she's Canadian. That's just me. Uh, she was on one, one episode of The Orville, one episode of The Leftovers, one episode of Castle. She was in... Uh, Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever, and two episodes of Medium. Uh, um, old, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, my bad. Oh, okay. Uh, older Freddy is played by Neil Bledsoe, who is not Drew Bledsoe, who is a quarterback. Or was a quarterback, probably in 1997. Um, I don't know. Do you know for what team? The I want to say Patriots. Is it Patriots? Uh, he did. He did start with the Patriots, but oh, never okay. mind. He was not with the Bills for nearly as long as I thought he was. But he was with the Bills, yeah. Because I was like, I knew Bledsoe was was on our team for sure. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, when you said Patriots, all of a sudden I went, "Are there more than one Bledsoe?" I, I got so nervous just now because <laughs> again, listen, I was so fucking confident. But yeah. the second you said not the team that I was l- thinking of, I went. Hmm. Wait. But I also forgot that I did actually know this too, because I, I, I knew he played for the Bills and the Cowboys. I did not know that he played for mm. the Patriots. 
but it's wild that I didn't know that because he played for the Patriots for like nine years. <laughs> yeah. What then, years? Uh, 93 to 2001. I just want to say, just let me point out that I said 97. You did say that. Yes, correct. Which is in there. And I'm pretty sure like right in the middle of there. That so. would be. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. If it was MCU wiki, they would have placed that that event in 1997 because you know, they like to do the middle. Actually, what's funny is, and I will say this real fast, uh, I, I actually should have remembered that it was, in fact, uh, that he was, in fact, on the Patriots because I did remember not that long ago hearing about part of the Tom Brady, like, you know, career path. And basically it was Bledsoe got injured, and that's what made them start Tom Brady, and then he never started for the Patriots again because of that. So, so Drew bled so that Tom Brady could play. Mm-hmm. That's exactly um, it. That's very good. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I See, here's what, listener, here's what you do. Think of something that sounds like something else. Then be only looking for ways to jam that into the conversation. And when you can find a good one like that one, you sound like a genius, he said, patting himself firmly on the back. And then other times you sound unhinged, which is mostly what happens. Do you know that uh, Bledsoe though was also the number one like draft pick the year that he was drafted? I um, would I just you like saw it if I said yes. I ju- I just I didn't know that. No. Like I just I mean, scrolled down a little bit and saw draft pick nineteen ninety three round one pick one. I was like, whoa! It's one of those things where it's like, I mean, that's probably why I know him. Like, I mean, that's he fair. was like, you know. People liked him in middle school and high school when I was coming up. So, yeah. Anyways. Uh, So, Neil Bledsoe is not Drew Bledsoe. uh, Was on one episode of The Blacklist, one episode of Timeless, and four episodes of The Man in the High Castle. Uh, The concierge, who is uh, Seuss's contact, is played by Paul Rogan, uh, who's the brother of Joe Rogan. I'm joking. Fuck Joe Rogan. But not Paul Rogan. He seems fine. He was on two episodes of American Horror Story, one episode of The Orville. This episode brought to you by The Orville. One episode of Timeless, one episode of Castle. He was in the video game Dracula Origin. Uh, he was in the short film Dracula Origin colon Catherine. I don't really understand. No, he wasn't. I'm joking. That's really funny. Uh, That's good. <laughs> thank you. Uh, he was in two episodes of My Name is Earl. He was in Space Force colon Captains, which is fun. Uh, he was in Agatha Christie colon Evil Under the Sun. Now, Colin, last episode, the 1955, the one you did, Alien Commies from Outer Space, someone in there was in Agatha Christie and then there were none or whatever. Right. Evil Under the Sun is the other Agatha Christie game that Kristen and I played on like our laptop in the mid 2000s. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was the one we anticipated and then purchased, uh, like when it was new, which is fun. Uh, the cop who basically is like, ugh, women, get out of my sight, get the dead body out of here, uh, is played by Tom Simmons. Uh, it's really funny. So there's uh, Agent Simmons, this guy, Tom Simmons, and then Henry Simmons is who plays Mac, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Simmonses. Um, he was on one episode of Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp. Mm. He was in four episodes of Deadwood, one episode of Charmed. He was in The Truman Show, one episode of Babylon 5, one episode of Party of Five, the 
Babylon 5 spinoff. One episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He was in two episodes of Briscoe County Jr., uh, which is an excellent show that everyone should watch if they like uh, Sam Raimi. And um, his name escaped me, the chin, Bruce. Bruce Campbell? Campbell. Yeah, who plays Briscoe County Jr. It's a Western, but with like modern technology. It it bled so that uh, Firefly could uh, play quarterback. Uh, he was season. on one episode of, was that? For one season. For one season. Uh, he was in one episode of Human Target, uh, hmm. the 1992 version. I'm pretty sure we talked about. Oh yeah, we did. Him, we talked Target, about like the 2000 the, yeah. whatever version. Yeah, uh, he was in one episode of the original MacGyver. I don't want to call it the good MacGyver, so I'm just going to move on. Yeah. And he was in the movie Commando, hmm. uh, which contains the famous line "Get to the chopper," and was also one of the movies we watched at my bachelor party, which was a sleepover where me and my groomsmen watched movies. And Commando was one of them, not because of me. Well, not not because of me. That's it. Uh, that is the Avengers Ensemble for this episode. A lot of stuff, a lot of people, a lot of Orville. Fantastic. Well, shall we fake our deaths? Oh, yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Uh, oh, oh, no, hey, ghosts. Yeah, real fast side note, by the way, because uh, you were talking about the guy who plays Joe or whatever in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I so remember to move in. this earlier, I will. If not, I'll just cut it. But I will say... They try to do that thing. It's very noiry, right? Where like the the villain, the guy who's gonna you know get you, has like the toothpick in his mouth and like he looks like a hardened guy. He was not intimidating whatsoever. I'm so sorry to that actor, <laughs> but like every time he like moved the 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 like the the toothpick around to like look cool, I was like, what a chump. Um, yeah, yeah. I felt bad about not feeling intimidated at all. Like I was like, does not convey the message that I think you wanted to. It just it's falling flat. There's a there's a character in uh, Alice in Borderland named Queena who is one of my favorites, uh, and she represents the caterpillar. Um, mm. So she for the first like half a season she has like a I don't know if it's a cigarette or one of those pirouette like you know chocolate filled breadstick things mm-hmm. or like a just a stick or something. But she has like a, a thing that hangs out of her mouth like all the time. It looks cool, and she's the best. So that's, that's cool. what I have to say on that. Very nice. Okay, so yeah. let's get out of here, though. I'm going to do social media, uh, and that is you can follow our show on Twitter at TimelineScav. If you want to follow the network that we're part of, you can follow us at ScavengersNet. If you want to follow me, you can follow me at Colin M. Parker. Or if you want to follow James, you can follow him at... Unabashed James. And, of course, you can find the guy who made the music that you heard at the beginning and the end of this show, Nick Ramald, at... Nen- at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D or nickramaldcomposer.co.uk Thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. As always, I'm Colin Parker. And I would tell him that I am James Anderson, but would that be a lie? And so, right after the last bullet ripped, upon his lips and on the dying breath, we heard Excelsior. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.